Hi, my name is Caitlin and welcome to the Gospel House. Our mission here at the Gospel House is to show the world that the gospel of Jesus Christ is enough, that in the gospel we can find all of our deepest needs met as the entire church responds to and applies implications of the gospel. We would love to show it with you. Check out our website, www.thegospel.house, where you can learn more about us, find out how to connect with us, ask questions, see when and where our next meeting is, and give to help advance this gospel message of Jesus Christ. Well, hi, Gospel House. It is so wonderful to be back up here. I feel like I've been gone forever. It's been a while. I have. <laughs> it's been a while. Um, I have missed preaching so much. Uh, it is one of my favorite things to do. Um, and so anytime I have to miss, uh, it, it always feels like a little, like I want to get back up there. But uh, I do want to give a huge thank you uh, to Mark Hecklinger, Tim Davis, Kurt Munson uh, for leading you all through the puzzle packets packet that we all filled out for, for walking you through all of those things and for facilitating those discussions that we had. Uh, and then a big thank you to Ryan O'Connor. Can we give it up for Ryan? Um, for, uh, for ministering the word last week, uh, Ryan and I share uh, a very common love. Uh, one of He mentioned this last week in his sermon, uh, but one of my favorite parts of reading scripture uh, it's, it's probably, if I trace back, you know how you go through moments in your walk with Jesus. Uh, this is one of the moments uh, when I went through the Old Testament and I underlined every Old Testament passage that had to do with the gospel in red. Um, it was one of the greatest years of spiritual growth in my life. Uh, you don't realize until you intentionally look for it how much, how many bridges God creates from the Old and New Testament. Um, and y'all, I've, I've heard some wonky teaching out there that says that Christians don't need the Old Testament anymore, that Christians can graduate from the Old Testament because we have the New Testament. Y'all, you're doing yourself, you're doing your God a disservice if that's how you approach, approach Scripture. Uh, I love those Christophanies uh, in the Old Testament where you see you know, Jesus in the Old Testament. And then I love those bridges. And, and Ryan brought a doozy last week, creating that bridge from the book of Leviticus to the book of Hebrews. Our depth, we go so deep when we dig into that stuff and we see what it means for Jesus to be our high priest. So huge thank you to Ryan for doing that last week. Um, and then today, uh, we are going to start moving uh, in this new direction. Uh, Patty, actually, Patty Thompson came up to me before service, and she shared with me, what verse was it? Isaiah 43, 18 and 19. Uh, and, and, you know, it, it, it's a fitting scripture passage for where our church is going, uh, the direction of our church, because in that passage, God says, Behold, I am ready to do a new thing. And, and here, you know, we felt this, this pivot, you know, we're not calling it a, a, a turn or, or I don't know what we're calling it, but, but this pivot for our church where we have really been intentionally discipling and now we're looking to God for God, what is the next step? 
What's this new thing that we're going to be doing? And so today we start into that. Now, I've, I've collected all of your puzzle packets. I, I feel like an English teacher all over again. Uh, that's what I used to do before I got called into full-time ministry, but, you know, I, I came in here and I got all these packets with, you know, put them in my backpack and took them home with me, got out my red pen and started going, no, I'm just kidding, I didn't, didn't do that. You guys missed a lot of answers. I'm just telling you, scores were pitiful, but no, I'm just kidding. But um, I have started going over the, those. I'm nowhere near finished with it yet. Um, I would encourage you, if you have not turned one in yet, please do so as soon as possible. The sooner I get all of those back, the sooner I can collect data. Please, for the love of everything, do not think for a moment. This, this is the thing, guys. We stopped everything dead in our tracks. You know, I, had, I heard a pastor once, he said, you know, in a year, I have 53 weeks. 52 weeks? 53? How many weeks are in a year? 52? 52 weeks. I was talking about a leap year, right? But a, a leap week. Um, <laughs> just kidding. But I've got, he, he, this pastor said, I've got 52 weeks, 52 sermons to preach to save people. So I don't like giving up my pulpit for anything, Right? That's what he said. Number one, I have issue with that because that means that it's my job to bring salvation. I disagree with that. But also, guys, we stopped everything those weeks to go give out these packets, to go over these packets. We felt God tell us, this is what's needed in the life of this church. Do not for a second think, well, Pastor Jeremy doesn't really need my answers to this packet. Well, the Gospel House doesn't listen Guys, we've got to get this out of our heads. The church is broken. The American church is broken in this regard. To be the church, to be the body of Christ, every part needs to do its job, which means that every single one of you plays a part. Part of the, the purpose of those packets, there's so much alliteration in this, the, the purpose of those packets is to find out where is your part here at the Gospel House. And so every single one of your packets, there is vital information for us to see where we're going as a church. And so if you have not filled one out, please do so as soon as possible and get that back to me. If you have not picked one up or if you lost yours, there's copies on this little table right outside the sanctuary doors. You can do that and get it to me as soon as you can. But it is vital, vital before we know where we're going as a church that we all fill those out. Because like we said at the beginning of this, I could cast some grand vision. We could say, this is where Pastor Jeremy says we're going. And that's fine. But that's not what we felt called to do. That's not what I felt called to do. We want everyone to determine where this church is going. Because this church, the Gospel House Church, is not about Pastor Jeremy. It's not about the lead pastor or anything like that. I'm not leading anyone from an ivory tower. We all dictate the direction of the church. We all dictate the direction of this body. And so those packets are vital that you get those back. So, with that being said, I felt strongly God tell me that the sermon series after all of this direction stuff was supposed to be about praise, was supposed to be about worship. And so, you know, looking at it from human eyes, I looked at it and I said, well, yeah, Jesus, that makes sense. It's Thanksgiving, you know, what better that to, to go into the month of Thanksgiving than, you know, grateful praise. Let's talk about worship and let's talk about praise. But 
there's more to it than that. It goes so much deeper than just that. I took, just so you know, I took the, the sermon title from Psalm 147, verses 5 through 7, which says, Great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding has no limit. The Lord sustains the humble, but casts the wicked to the ground. Sing to the Lord with grateful praise. Make music to our God on the harp. Now, a couple weeks ago, uh, Lexa Munson, one of our worship leaders, she had shared this vision that God had given her. After she had got done leading worship, she went out and, you know, God gave her this vision of the gospel house all together, bowing down here at the altar in worship. And she felt strongly God tell her the first step is humility and worship, right? And that is why God has us starting here with grateful praise. Not because, I mean, I'll be honest with y'all, like, I saw this and I thought when God told me this is where we're going, I thought, okay, like, yeah, this is a filler sermon. You know, everybody's got those filler sermons that they just kind of plug in when they don't, it doesn't fit in a four-week sermon series. So you just kind of shove it in there and like, oh, okay, good. It's going to waste time while, you know, I can grade all of your essays. That's not what this is, y'all. This is the first step. We cannot begin on the mission that Jesus has for his church, for this church, if we don't start with gratefulness, if we don't start with praise. And so we've got to start with this grateful praise. And today, we start that by looking at this encounter that we see with Jesus. We learn a lesson from some of the most unlikely characters in the Bible. And today, we will look at two sets of lepers. The story is found in Luke chapter 17, if you'd like to read along in your Bibles with you. And we read about an encounter that Jesus has with two sets of lepers. And more so than the encounter, the moral of the story actually comes from the reaction to the encounter. The Word of God tells us this, starting in verse 11. While he, being Jesus, was on the way to Jerusalem, he was passing between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, ten men with leprosy who stood at a distance met him. And they raised their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourself to the priests. And as they were going, they were cleansed. Now one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at, at Jesus' feet, giving thanks to him. And he was a Samaritan. But Jesus responded and said, Were there not ten cleansed? But the nine, where are they? Was no one found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Stand up and go. Your faith has made you well. It's an interesting story, isn't it? And I know that no one in this room would consider themselves one of those nine lepers who refused to come back to give glory to Jesus. Right? Right? Because we are all so very thankful and grateful for everything that we have. Aren't we? <laughs> right? 
But y'all, look at this story. Look at where Jesus goes with this. He heals these ten men. He tells, gives them instructions. Go to the priest and have the priest pronounce you clean. Right? That was part of, part of the thing. If you go back again, go back and read the Old Testament law. Back in Leviticus, which we covered last week, nobody likes to read, right? But if you go back and read the Old Testament law, this was the rule. People who had leprosy, any kind of skin condition, in order to keep them from spreading it amongst the the people, they were forced to go and live all by themselves, isolated, in quarantine, away from the rest of the population, and then when they were cleansed of this, when the, when the skin condition went away, if it went away, they were to go to the priest and have the priest pronounce them clean. And only after the priest had pronounced them clean, it wasn't good enough for the condition to be gone. After the priest pronounced them clean, they could come back and be integrated back into society. What's Jesus say though? They hadn't been healed yet, Right? It says, on the way, they were healed. Jesus says, go to the priest and have him pronounce you clean. And on their way to the priest, they're healed. Isn't that incredible? And then one man looks down, one of the lepers looks down, and and this has been made quite the deal because Jesus does this on multiple occasions, right? But the word of God draws out specifically the fact that this man was a Samaritan. That would have been nails on a chalkboard to the Jews, y'all. The fact that a Samaritan, these are like the worst of the worst. Jews who weren't quite Jews. And the real Jews hated the Samaritans for that. This, these mixed blood, you know, half Jews, half every other nation. No respect for Samaritans. And over and over again, it's the Samaritans that are the heroes of the story. Don't miss that, right? This Samaritan looks down and says, oh my goodness, I've been healed. And the Samaritan does something, which Ryan pointed out last week, does something that should point us in the right direction. The Samaritan goes to his real high priest right the samaritan goes to jesus to thank him for healing him i would love to tell you that the rest of this story ends in those nine lepers who didn't come back with thankful hearts their leprosy came right back but the word of god doesn't tell us that does it so we assume that they still received their healing y'all and y'all sadly You can see this in the Church of America today. I've had lots of conversations with people about this. Oh, you know, if people see signs and wonders and miracles, if they see an amputated leg just grow back, you can't argue with that. Have you looked? I mean, have you looked at our current culture? Sure they can. (laughs) We are the most ungrateful people (laughs) maybe ever, aren't we? And put yourself in these lepers' shoes for a minute. We never want to associate ourselves with the bad guys in stories, right? But ladies and gentlemen, when you read the Bible, the safest place to put yourself is in the category of bad guy. That's what the gospel says, 
right? When we read these stories, if I paint myself as David, right, the mighty king who slays Goliath, I'm reading the wrong interpretation into that story. I'm not the mighty king. I'm Goliath, or I'm the Israelite who's hiding behind the rock. Jesus is the hero of every story, not Jeremy. And so we've got to put ourselves in the right category. Think about these lepers, these nine lepers who didn't come back to say thank you. Y'all think of what their life would have been like. Like we said, lepers were unclean. And so anyone who is unclean, there were very specific rules that they had to follow. You weren't allowed to come in contact with anyone else. Anyone who is unclean, who is Jewish and unclean, who came in contact with another person, you made that other person unclean. Your uncleanliness rubbed off on them. Lepers were unclean to the nth degree, though. Because like we said, they were forced to go live in, in different colonies. Forced to go live outside of the city walls. You know, out in the middle of nowhere, prone to attacks. prone to You know, they weren't safe out there. But that's where they got cast off to. The dregs of society. You're not allowed to go to church. You're not allowed to go to the market. You're not allowed to go anywhere. You're stuck out in these leper colonies with other people who were dirty, who were unloved, who were unwanted, just like you. In fact, the term leper back then was a highly derogatory term. To be called a leper would be an insult to anyone. And if you actually had the disease, (laughs) even worse. When you go through all of that, I don't know, I'm not going to speak for you, but Jeremy Allen Metzger would approach Jesus and say, doggone it, God, it's about time I get a break. Jesus, have you seen what all I've been going through lately? Do you see how they treat me, Lord? The least you could do is heal me. Right? That's not a flattering image, is it? We don't like to admit that that's where we get, but that's where we get, isn't it? Can I encourage you, take heart. You're not unique. It's called human nature. That's where we find ourselves, in this pity party, right? But unfortunately, when we start buying into this, oh, woe is me, Jesus, my life is so hard. When we do get healed, it becomes twice as hard to turn back and thank him for it. Because all of a sudden, it's not God's grace that heals us. It's our entitlement, right? When you're entitled to healing. Well, doggone it, God, I deserve this. My life has been hard. I deserve this stuff. And y'all, modern Christianity, especially in the United States, this is where we're at. We are an entitled people. We deserve fill in the blank, right? I saw my parents who have this huge house, and so as soon as I'm ready to live on my own, well, I deserve a huge house too, right? We don't look at all of the things that go into. We have this talk with my son Elam all the time. He plays football. 
You know, and he goes out there the very first day because he's still young, and he thinks, well, I, I ought to be able to go out there and play like Jerry Rice, or I don't know who, who's the coolest football player now, Patrick Mahomes, you know. Like I ought to be, but we don't see all the work that goes into making Patrick Mahomes Patrick Mahomes, right? We don't see the work that goes into buying this huge expensive house or to, to having these sort of things. We just see them and we want them and we're entitled to them. And we get that so ingrained in us that we can approach God the same way. Right? Y'all, this is the works gospel. It's called legalism. And you know, everybody who hates legalists, because those are the Pharisees, guys, it's not just legalists. You can get into the same trouble when it comes with healing and all the charismatic stuff too. Because it's, well, I deserve to be healed. I've done all the right things. I've checked all the boxes. I've pleaded the blood. I have the faith. It's all works-based righteousness. I'm relying on my faith to heal me. Jesus, I brought my mustard seed faith. You have to heal me. Ooh, buddy. But, but listen, y'all, we, we laugh about it when it comes out of your mouth like that, right? But yet we approach him that way a thousand different ways. And we mask it through all the different Christian authors that we read. But it's all from a sense of entitlement. God deserves me. And we fall right into that trap, don't we? It's really interesting because right before this story hits, we do such a bad job of taking Jesus' teachings and stringing them all together, don't we? You would think we would be good at that. That if Jesus teaches something immediately before an event takes place, that we would put the two things together and think, huh, yes, this makes sense. But we don't. We cherry-pick parts that we like, and then we ignore the other parts that we don't. I don't know that I have ever heard this passage preached from, but immediately before this story, Jesus teaches this. He teaches this parable. This is in Luke 17, verses 7 through 10. It says, Now, which of you, having a slave plowing or tending sheep, will say to him after he comes in from the field, Come immediately and recline at the table to eat. On the contrary, will he not say to him, prepare something for me to eat and properly clothe, clothe yourself and serve me while I eat and drink and afterwards you may eat and drink? He does not thank the slave because he did the things which were commanded, does he? So you too, when you do all the things which were commanded you, say, we are unworthy slaves." We have done only that which ought to have been done. You don't hear that very much, do you? When is the last time you've heard a worship song that goes like this? We are unworthy slaves. We have done only that which we ought to. Right? It's not popular, is it? That's not a popular Christian anthem that we cling to. Because we're entitled. Well, I'm a child of God, so I boldly approach the throne and I just tell God what he's going to give me. Y'all, that is the worst way to approach God. Boldly approach the throne, yes, that's what the, the Word of God tells us to do that. 
but you boldly approach the throne because of another's righteousness. Because of Jesus' righteousness that he gives to you. It is nothing of my own. And when I get there, I trust that God knows best. So y'all petition God. Ask God for what you want. But the better way, ask God what he wants for you. And when he tells you, don't fight it. (laughs) Right? Because how many times do we fight? God knows what's best. And if we don't pay attention, if we don't see what's going on, we fall into this religious entitlement. And when we are entitled, guess how likely you are to turn back and to thank him for what he's given you? Never. The entitled never come back to thank God for what he's given them. Jesus tells a very similar parable. This is one of my favorites. I love having arguments with people about this. This one's from Matthew 20. He says this, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. When he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And he said, go, you go into the vineyard also, and whatever is right I will give you. And so they went. Again, he went out, out about the sixth hour. and the ninth hour, he did the same thing. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing around, and he said to them, why have you been standing here idle all day? They said, because no one hired us. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. Now when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, starting with the last group to the first. When those hired about the eleventh hour came, each one received a denarius. And so when those who hired first came, they thought they would receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they grumbled at the landowner, saying, These who were hired last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day's work and the scorching heat. But he answered and said to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what is yours and go. But I want to give this last person the same as you. Is it not lawful for me to do what I want with what is my own? Or is your eye envious because I am generous? So the last shall be first, and the first last. I've talked with a lot of people about this passage. And I have found the more Western capitalist we are, the more we dislike this passage. Right? There's a couple of those passages in Scripture. Hold on a second, Jesus. You're getting kind of socialist here. We better, we better check this at the door because everybody knows that God's capitalist, right? Right. But what rubs us the wrong way here? You're telling me everybody gets the same? You're telling me that on my deathbed, I can be a sinner, I can be the worst of the worst sinners, and on my deathbed, if I accept Jesus Christ as my Savior, I get the same as the guy who's been faithfully following the Lord all the days of his life. Yep. I'm not telling you that. Jesus is telling you that. Right? 
it rubs us the wrong way, doesn't it? It's not fair. Right? But can I tell you what's not fair? Is the only perfect human being to walk the face of this planet. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, giving up His life to save a sinner like me. Can I tell you what's not fair? And you really want to boil it down and look at this. You know, we look at the end results. And you know, look, we've, we've glossed this over a thousand different ways, right? We've tried to even this playing field that Jesus shows us isn't even. Well, 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 hold on, hold on now, hold on. Because people who faithfully serve the Lord for, for 50 years, they have a mansion in heaven that's got so many rooms, and that other guy, he's just got a little pup tent because he's only been serving him for four hours. Show me. Show me in Scripture. Because, y'all, I can tell you where you're getting that Scripture reference from. It's an old King James reference that has been proven incorrect. In the King James, Jesus says, my father has said there are many mansions in heaven, right? You know what I'm talking about? That, that word for mansions that King, the King James translation translates as mansions, it is not mansion. It's dwelling place. The humblest of abodes. You're talking, it could be a shack to a mansion. It's just, just somewhere where someone lives, right? I've, I've told you all this a bunch before, but look, when I get to heaven, I don't want a mansion, I will take a tent because I will set up my tent at the feet of Jesus and I won't move, right? I don't need a ton of rooms. I just need him. And that's the problem is when we focus on the wrong things, when we focus on the jewels and the crowns and the, the mansions and all the things that we make heaven that it's not, we miss what heaven is. And that's Jesus. Just Jesus. But y'all... That's what they miss. You want to talk about what someone misses when they don't give their life to Jesus, when they spend their entire life. They miss out on the peace of knowing Jesus. They miss out on the power of the Holy Spirit working in their lives and using them. That's what you miss. Y'all, I don't want to miss that, do you? I want to know that peace. I want to know his presence more and more every day. But y'all, until we realize, until we realize this blessing that it is to follow God, this blessing of his presence that we can have now, y'all, right now. You want to talk Old Testament, New Testament, y'all, we are living in the kingdom of God. We are living in the kingdom of God. The Holy Spirit is here. And so in the Old Testament, like Ryan talked about last week, you had a tabernacle where God's presence was. And you know, the Holy Spirit was still everywhere. He's still moving and, and still working everywhere. But y'all, followers of God didn't have access to the Holy Spirit like we do today. We have unlimited access to God himself. The veil was torn from top to bottom. The Holy Spirit was released on every single believer on the day of Pentecost. God lives inside of you. He is there. And when we realize that, 
we realize how blessed we truly are. But can I ask you, church, and, and some of you are better this than others. Some, some people are better at having a thankful heart than others. When is the last time you thank God for his presence? Right? Do you make it a daily habit? If not, can I encourage you to do so? Thank him every day, every moment. Because y'all, when that is the lens that we view the rest of the world through, I promise you, you want to talk about grateful praise. I'll be honest with y'all, I struggle with being thankful. I struggle with it. I fall into woe is me. I fall into looking at my circumstances and thinking, God, I have it worse than anyone else in the world. And if I'm not careful, I fall into Doggone it, Lord, you owe me. I have walked through some garbage, Jesus, and I've done it all for you. When's my blessing coming? But y'all, my blessing already came, right? And if I don't see that, I'm going to be messed up, and my theology is going to be messed up, and my walk with Jesus is going to be messed up because I am one of the nine lepers who is walking in blessing after blessing after blessing, but I refuse to see it. I refuse to acknowledge it. Something really cool happened this week. I told y'all how I was planning this sermon series, and it was kind of felt, felt kind of like a just, you know, throwaway sermon series. It's just going to be its own little thing. But something cool happened. I didn't see how the pieces connected, but uh, Sarah O'Connor and, and Ryan O'Connor, Sarah made uh, our family a meal this week. And she included this little, it's like a little journaling uh, book. They have like journaling Bibles, but this one's just like a very specific, just the book of Ephesians. And so she, she in- included that with the meal and, and wrote a little note that said, Pastor Jeremy, I just felt prompted by the Holy Spirit to, to give you the book of Ephesians. Uh, she said, maybe you know why already. And I kind of felt like a knucklehead because I didn't know why already. I was like, oh gosh, I'm like, great, I haven't been listening to Jesus so, but, but then, you know, the next day I thought, well, I probably should pray about this and see if there's a reason to have it. And Jesus said, well, open the book, dummy. And so I opened the book of Ephesians. And y'all, look, Ephesians, so for those of you not familiar with the book of Ephesians, Ephesians is like a how-to book. So like of, of all of the, the New Testament letters that Paul writes, you know, all this stuff, they're all wonderful books. But like Ephesians very specifically has to do with how do you go from being just like a church to being a full, spiritually mature church. Hallelujah. Gospel House, what are we looking at right now? Right? We are a church, but we want to go into that next level, Right? We want to take that next step of spiritual maturity. And the book of Ephesians starts like this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before him. 
in love he predestined us to adoption as sons and daughters through Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will to the praise of the glory of his grace with which he favored us in the beloved how does the book of Ephesians start y'all you are blessed Paul says church before we go into anything else, look at everything you have to be thankful for. Y'all, look at, now Paul's writing to the church in Ephesus. Y'all remember what the church is going through at this time. They are being severely persecuted. And I'm not, I'm not talking about like vote yes on issue one, vote no on issue one, like not that kind of persecution. Actual persecution being killed, being thrown in prison, like actual persecution, like the stuff that they're going through in the Middle East right now, right? Y'all, you do, you do realize this. Take off your American sunglasses for just a second, right? And look overseas at what's go- going on overseas. Ladies and gentlemen, Christians are being murdered overseas for no other reason than they believe in Jesus, Not because they didn't vote right, not because they didn't, because they believe in Jesus. They're being slaughtered. And you know what's crazy? I was just talking to Mark Hansen about this on Wednesday. You know what's crazy? The the Christians, the churches in those countries where they are being heavily persecuted are growing like wildfire. Like legitimately, where where was, was it Iran, the Iranian church? Mark, Mark was telling me that he read an article, the, the church in Iran is growing faster than any other church in the world right now. It is under the heaviest persecution. There's part of me that thinks a little persecution might be good for the American church. Look, I don't want to go through it, y'all, but you figure out real quick whether you're following the real Jesus or not when people say, if you go to church, we'll kill you. You know, it really sorts out the lukewarm from the, right? Right? If that, was, if, if that was the gun to your head, y'all, would you be here on Sunday? I hope the answer is yes. But that's what these people are going through. This is who Paul is writing to. And he doesn't say, y'all, you got it so rough, but Jesus is going to come through. Right? He's going to pull through and, and, and you know, whatever all the cliche Christian things that we say to people, right? It's not a setback, it's a setup, right? Whatever. (laughs) You know them all. You've seen them on Instagram, right? He doesn't say that. He says, look, y'all, yeah, it stinks. Yeah, you're being asked to give your life, but look at what he's already given to you. Every spiritual blessing is yours. Because even though God has every right to treat you like a slave, he has called you a son and a daughter. Holy cow, y'all. And it doesn't even end here. Because Paul continues, In him 
We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our wrongdoings according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he set forth in him, regarding his plan of the fullness of the times to bring all things together in Christ, things in the heavens and things on the earth. In him we have also obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things in according with the plan in accordance with the plan of his will to the end that we were the first to hope in the Christ would be the to, or would be to the praise of his glory in him you also after listening to the message of truth the gospel of your salvation having also believed you were sealed in him with the holy spirit of the promise who is a first installment of our inheritance in regard to the redemption of god's own possession to the praise of his glory Amen. in him in him in him one might start to think the only blessing is in him. Huh? You'd do pretty well to start thinking that, right? Amen. We've covered that the past couple of weeks. Paul continues, For this reason I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you and your love for the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers. And I absolutely love this. Because again, we do a really crummy job of this when we're reading the scriptures, right? Paul's not writing this to the church in Ephesus in ideal circumstances, right? He's not on a missions trip stuck in a Marriott hotel with air conditioning, you know, room service, all the things. That's not where Paul's at when he's writing this, Right? Throughout all of Paul's ministry career, as soon as Paul sees that light that blinds him and hears Jesus' voice, he spends the rest of his life on the run, y'all. He is either locked up in prison or about to be locked up in prison or about to be murdered or being beaten and thrown into prison. Like, Right? That's where Paul's at in every single one of this. And what does he say? Paul, the man who spent half of his life on the run, says that he never stops giving thanks. And y'all, this is an attitude we see when we read through this, the, the life of Paul in the book of Acts. This is the attitude we see from Paul all the time. It doesn't matter if he's getting bitten by rattlesnakes or, or thrown into prison. He's continually singing praises to God because Paul never lost sight of the gospel that despite the fact that he was a wretched sinner, God chose him, and God saved him. And so Paul has this attitude of thanksgiving throughout. And then, probably my favorite part of this passage in Ephesians, Paul goes on to tell the church in Ephesus, this is my prayer for you. And y'all, if God put it in his word, this is God's prayer for you all too. All right? Soak this in. Gospel house, soak this in. If you want to close your eyes and listen to it, you can read it up on the screen. This is God's prayer for you. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom 
and of revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the boundless greatness of his power toward us who believe. These are in accordance with the working of, his, of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and made him the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Gospel house, do you see it? This is the motivation that can cause us to have joy in the midst of any circumstance. I would never dare stand up here and tell you that your circumstances don't matter. That's not what God says. Nowhere does God says that he doesn't care, just worship through it. That's never the message. But the message is always focus. Right? Jesus is always saying, focus on me. Focus on what you have. Not what you don't have. Not what you wish you had. Focus on what you have. Jesus. Jesus. Unlimited access. Y'all, when I look at where God pulled me from, at the man I was, y'all, if you told some of the people I went to high school with that I was a pastor now, you'd have to pick up their jaw from the floor, right? I don't think anybody saw it. But Jesus chose me, and he called me. And through his sacrifice, through Christ's obedience, he saved me. And y'all, you're sitting here, so I'm not the only one. I don't know your past, and I don't have to know your past. But I do know your future. You have been called by the Most High God. You have been saved by His one and only Son. And you are destined for a glorious future with Him. No one can take that away from you. Every blessing, every blessing is yours. We can go through this life in poverty. We can go through this life as lepers without ever being healed. Because God himself is our glory. He is our blessing. Amen? Amen. This is life with Jesus, y'all. I'm going to end here, and the worship team is going to come up, and we're going to sing back through that, that song that we sang about rejoicing. But one more time, I want to read this prayer that Paul gives us in the book of Ephesians. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, 
may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And what is the boundless greatness of his power toward us who believe? These are in accordance with the workings of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and made him head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Gospel House, will you stand with me? And in grateful praise, let's let him, Jesus Christ himself, the Holy Spirit, fill our hearts with thanksgiving and with praise for the glory of his name. Amen? Amen. Let's worship. Thank you for listening to the Gospel House Podcast. We pray that you are pointing to Jesus and will apply what you learn to look more like him each and every day. If you found today's message impactful, do us a favor and hit the follow button, leave us a rating, and write up a review to help others find our podcast. You can also help us by sharing the podcast so that together we can show the world that the gospel of Jesus Christ is enough. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Head to our website, www.thegospel.house backslash connect. Fill out the form and someone from our Gospel House family will connect with you. God bless you. And remember, the gospel of Jesus Christ is always enough.